like to learn to throw your voice, learn tap dancing, entertain your friends, laugh a minute, they'll send you 10,001 gags. Each one guaranteed to be a Bopola with instructions for delivering the gag, including selected gestures. So uh, you've come to the right place. Uh, you know, works on a life of its own. Television, radio, the whole bit uh, has no relationship to the to the real world. For example, uh, well, uh, you take take uh, my own business, your radio. I, I've often said, uh, in fact, the other night I did a show where I talked about uh, when you work in showbiz, you tend everything sort of melds into one big thing, and so uh, this is the way it is with writers too. You, uh, I, I've read a piece. For example, the other day I was looking through a lot of stuff in my office. I came across a piece that I had written for the Village Voice some time ago. And uh, I was amazed. You know, I, I was fascinated. I, I didn't even remember I didn't remember even writing one one word of the thing. See, and that was like a whole new article. I thought to myself, reading it, I said, you know, that guy's got a good idea there, whoever he is. And, <laughs> and I looked at the top, and there's the old byline. Say, well, I, I talked about this one night on the air. You might remember it. When I talked about how writers, uh, especially if they've written over a period of time, they don't really remember what they've written. That would come as a terrible shock to somebody who who's deeply involved with a book that some guy wrote, and uh, the guy might have written it. You, you know, even after you write a book, uh, maybe you don't know this. You write a book, and you finish it. Well, before the book actually gets out on the market, it's sometimes almost two years. It's certainly a year, no no less than a year, and sometimes it's two years after you've written it. Well, by the time it comes out, the guy is deeply involved in many other projects. He's working on stuff that's going on a year or a year later. And so people will come up to him. Now, the book is new to them. <laughs> they'll come up to him, and they'll say, oh, that was fascinating. You know, uh, what you said about the... Uh, the uh, the automatic fly swatter company that was a fascinating thing. He says, "Oh yeah, 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 that's uh, right." Uh, he's wondering, "What the hell did I say about the automatic? I never heard of the automatic fly swatter company." And uh, there's this moment of panic. I've seen guys on on uh, once in a while being interviewed, where uh, where the interviewer will ask him a question about his book, like, uh, "I want to ask you," is is a typical uh, question. Uh, now look. Uh, I don't want you. I don't want to want you to get get it wrong here. But uh, we, I'd like to ask you a question about something you say on page eighty three here. You say here that uh, that people who come from North Carolina have a tendency to go in for horseshoe playing. Well, now I'd like to ask you. The guy sitting there, he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. He says, "Well, I'm <clears throat> very." Uh, uh, <laughs> he didn't remember even writing it, so he said he has no way of answering this. Well, I, I talked about this on the air. I don't want to, you know, burden you with all this jazz, but I talked to you. I talked about it on the air one night, and uh, I got a letter from a writer. Do you want to hear a, an actual, you know, well-known novelist wrote me a letter? Did you ever hear of Faith Baldwin? Well, Faith Baldwin is a, is is one of the you know the, one of the grand ladies of American novel 
she's written thousands of books, you see. Yeah, she's really something else. Faith Baldwin, and she's been, she's a listener. She writes me these great letters all the time, very funny letters. And, uh, and so here's what she says. She says, Shepard, as for forgetting what you've written, I just assume in my case around 100 books, she said, give or take, 10 or 12. <laughs> How would you like to have written somebody now? But you can say, well, I'd like to forget them. Around 100, give or take, 10 or 12, one way or the other. She says, as for forgetting what you've written, she said, uh, I, uh, she says, I had an experience recently like that. A couple of years ago, there was a reprint of a novel that I had published in 1939. And the reprint came to me. She said, and I looked at it, and I recalled only the setting. She didn't remember, actually, the novel. She remembered the setting, which was Sun Valley. So I read it. I was fascinated. She said, so much plot. She says, I hate plot. She says, even though I began in the pulp, I hate plot. She said, there was so much plot. And the characters, all of them, were in a fearful bind. I couldn't remember how I got them out. She said, I was fascinated, so I kept reading. And at the end, I was thunderstruck. <laughs> it was a totally new scene for her. Well, now, there's a novelist. There's a classic example of that. And uh, I, I uh, the other day, we were, we were down in the tape room here, and we had a whole mess of tapes of shows that I have done in the past, a lot of shows, and we put them on, we were putting them on the tape machine, listening to them. And I suddenly found myself listening to this wild story, and it was exactly the way Faith Baldwin said, I, I'm fascinated by the story, and I couldn't figure out how it was going to come out. And I sit in there cheering, and yeah, I forgot it was me coming out of the lodge. Because they said, oh, wow, wow. You know, the music was coming up, and the guys were screaming, and the characters were yelling and howling. And I found myself too completely immersed in this story, which I myself had told. Now, uh, <laughs> I don't know, you know. Uh, so so uh, take yourself now. What, if, what? Take your own life, Tony, your own life. Uh, anybody's life sitting out there listening. If I were to... Uh, See, people tend to believe that that, uh, that their lives are something they're deeply involved in all the time that they live it. It's their life. And I've always been fascinated by memory and the connection that a person has with events that go on around him and places he's been. I think that if you were to take a life, your life, I'm talking about your life, everybody's life, just a life, and you were to... Make a graph out of it, like, you know how in the Wall Street Journal I always have a graph, it's like a dollar, a, a, a pie, and it shows it divided up into different things. Your tax dollar, it'll say, and it says uh, defense, and a great big chunk, and uh, it'll say uh, rent, a big chunk like that. Where does your dollar, you've seen those graphs. Well, if you were to take your life and put it in the, in the shape of a pie graph, and uh, there'd be a big chunk right there. It says sleep. That's a big part of your life. How much? How many hours do you sleep a day? Well, let's let's assume an average of eight. We'll just take that for argument's sake. Some more, some less. But I, I guess the average is about eight. And uh, so, out of a 24-hour day in your life, there you've got the good chunk gone right there. That's uh, what is it? A fourth, isn't it? A third. A third of your life you sleep. Okay. All right. Well then. 
Let's take the, the next chunk, eating. How much time do you spend eating? Well, figure that out. The, the average person will go out to dinner or he will have dinner. Usually dinner is the longest time of the day in eating. You'd say two hours. Is that one meal? That's uh, two hours all day? Well, I think most people spend more, Tony. I really do. You, you may spend two hours, but I think the average person spends more. I suspect <coughs> that the average guy will spend possibly upwards of uh, maybe close to three even eating. Uh, if you take breakfast, he, he may... A lot of people have breakfast. Now, maybe they spend 20 minutes over breakfast. Possibly. Lunch. Now, the average guy gets an hour off for lunch right there, an hour and a half sometimes. In some places, you don't take it, but I think most people do. Uh, so a guy goes out to lunch, and then he has dinner. So I would say that you spend, well, let's just for argument's sake, say two and a half hours a day eating. That's just eating. Well, okay. What about work? I mean, at work, the average guy would, again, spend another eight hours. So ultimately, uh, there's not much time that's really your time that isn't involved in eating or sleep. In other words, functional time. But, uh, no, I, I've been thinking about this. I've often thought about uh, uh, how, how your life is divided up into different sections. And now, the question is, this is the only reason I've been talking about this. Now I want you to listen. You can All the rest of it you can throw out. But I want you to listen to this. Uh, if, if I were somehow able to magically, with some device, replay a day in your life for you, let's say on a film or something, and you're watching it, let's say out of 15 years ago, a day at random, now I'm not talking about a, uh, some spectacularly uh, memorable day, like, say, the day you graduated or something like that. I'm just taking, let's just take an average Tuesday of, uh, let's say, 12 years ago or 15 years ago, depending on how old you are. And just take this day and put it on a playback machine, some kind of a machine like a, like a Kinney uh, projector or, or a film projector. <laughs> you don't want to hear that. <laughs> Tony's already leaving. He doesn't want to hear about this at all. And you're sitting there. So give me a little of that, that tremendous music, Tony. And I take you into the place. See? No, 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 no. Not that, Tony. The other one. The big, important music. Uh, all right. Now hold it there. And you're sitting there, see. And it starts to unreal. figure comes dashing out of a subway entrance. And there's a big crowd around him. You know, everybody's running out of the subway. It's about uh, 8, 12 a.m. And he scurries out of this crowd. You peer at him. So you look at him. And then I, as the over-speaking voice, say, you are looking at yourself. There you go. And the camera zooms in and picks up the, the face that's covered with sweat as it's running like hell down the street trying to get to work on time. And you watch yourself. 
Would that be a pleasant experience or not? I don't know. And you'd say to yourself, that coat. I don't remember. Oh, yeah, I remember that coat. Oh, yeah. It always used to get me under the, oh, under the arms, yeah. Oh, I wonder what ever happened to that coat. Look at the funny, the funny pants I'm wearing. You're in the elevator. You're on your way up to the office. And you see a couple of people standing around in the elevator with you. You say, oh, who's that, oh, that guy? Yeah, standing next to me. That's the guy that used to work in the, uh, in the, uh, he worked in the payroll division. That's right. I'm crying out loud. I wonder what happened to him. Oh, I remember hearing about what happened. Yeah. yeah he and his wife got divorced and he, what was that thing? Yeah, something about the... He got in trouble over in Jersey someplace, I think. Oh, yeah. You're crying out loud. I haven't thought of him in a long time. And then the door opens, the elevator swings out, and now you're walking through the ante room of the office. Oh, jeez, yeah, that was before they decorated. Oh, for crying out loud, I forgot that. There, oh, yeah, there's that girl. Oh, gee, you remember the time of the Christmas party where... What was her name? Uh... Marsha, that's right. She was from Fordham Road. I remember, oh, boy, that was... Oh, man, was I lucky that time. And now you walk past Marsha, and you notice that the bag of your pants, a bag in the back, hangs down, kind of discouraging. You say, oh, crying out loud. Would you remember it? Would you be able to know what happened next? Would you recognize that day? Then you go out to lunch, and you're sitting in this place. You see it on the screen. You say, "Crying out for that place." I don't remember that place at all. Who the hell is that I'm having lunch with there? I have no idea who that is. Who's that person there? What am I talking about? I seem to be trying to sell him something or something. I can't remember. I can't remember. I can't remember. And then there's that tiny figure scurrying back through the crowd with a slight rain beginning to fall from the Jersey skies. And that funny coat that always caught you under the arms. You are looking at your past and you don't even remember it. How many people can't remember past last Wednesday? And even that's getting a little hazy. No past at all. And then you slowly begin to realize, I haven't lived at all. I have no past. more than most 
dramas that are around on the stages today. But uh, I don't know whether many of us would like to do that. I mean, if you were given the chance to do a thing like that, to go in and look at it, you would do it. But I'm not so sure that it would prove to be a pleasant experience. Well, now, think about it. Think carefully about it, because there's a lot of ramifications to a thing like that. And, uh, of course, the obvious thing, you'd immediately say, oh, you know, gee, gee don't tell me. I used to think a tie looking like that was great, that kind of stuff. But uh, there, were, there would be other ramifications that... Uh, you know, I know people who do not want to see pictures of themselves, who really don't want to see pictures of themselves, particularly pictures taken in the past. They don't like to see that. Uh, oh, listen, I, I'll tell you one of, the, one, of where I've, one of the most interesting examples of that I know of. I know a guy who was a, and he is, he's a star. A motion picture and uh, legitimate stage star. He's done a lot of TV, too. But uh, this is a guy who, about the late 30s and up through most of the 40s, was a really big name. You know who I'm talking about. I mean, he is still a name, but he's not a big name like he was. A big name. He's one of the top, uh, if you were to say, there were, let's say, if there were 40 top motion picture stars, he was one of those top people. Well, he he practically flips when one of his old movies gets on television. And uh, he, he won't look. He absolutely refuses to look. And one night, I happened to be with him on a night when one of his great classic movies, in fact, it was the movie that made him a motion picture star was on. Great classic movie. And... Uh, it was one of the great movies of the late 30s, and it was on television, and I happened to be in a little apartment with him and five other people when somebody mentioned that this movie was on that night. And, of course, he knew it, but he didn't say anything about it because he obviously heard that it was going to be on. And, uh, and they wanted to watch it. And you could see him struggling. I didn't know about this, you see. I didn't know that he had a thing like that. And so everybody says, yeah, let's turn it on. And... Uh, he didn't say much, and so he did. They, they, he, he let him do it. So the movie came on. Can you imagine being in a uh, in an apartment, let's say, watching a movie with, we'll just say, for example, uh, Claire Trevor, when one of her movies is on. Well, this is what was happening to me, and it was a great movie. It was a classic movie. This guy is a, is a fine actor, by the way, not just a, a momentary flash in the pan, but a fine actor. And he still is recognized as a fine actor. And so the film came on. And we're all sitting around. And it began to develop the picture. You could see it was, uh, it was black and white. And it was beautiful. Good movie. And because uh, it, it is a classic. It's the thing that made him a star. And he said, uh, oh, he said, listen. He said it was on maybe ten minutes. When he said, oh, he said, geez, I forgot that. I, I, uh, I forgot my cigarettes. He said, just a minute, I'll go. I have to get out and get some cigarettes. He never came back. He left. And he was gone. He just never, and nobody noticed it at first, see. And we're all sitting around uh, eating uh, popcorn and uh, drinking uh, uh, whiskey sours and stuff. And the movie's on and everybody's talking about it. 
And then, just about ten minutes before the end of the picture, somebody mentioned, say, where, where is the... We realized he was gone. He didn't stay. And that was it. Well, now... <laughs> now, a lot of people would assume that actors and actresses look at everything they do, wouldn't they? I mean, most people would assume that. Well, I don't. Notice the fact. You know that if, if I ever record a show for radio, we'll say, I never listen to it. It's a rare thing when I will listen to a show that I've done. Now, that doesn't mean I don't like it. Don't, don't assume that. And I want you to understand that this guy didn't uh, look at the picture because he didn't like it. There's other things going. It's a strange feeling. Some like it, some don't. Now, some people, and this is not the majority, I think, some people will go 500 miles to see themselves. I'm talking about actors. Go 500 miles to see themselves on the stage or on the screen or anything. You know, they just, they want to see themselves. But there is a great body of performers who do not like to see what they've done after they've done it. I guess a lot of people don't know that the Cabot Show and the Carson Show, they're all taped earlier. They're not, they're not done live at the time, and they tape them usually three, maybe three or four hours, two or three hours before the actual airtime. So uh, I, I, I was literally dragooned <laughs> into watching myself that night on the Dick Cavett show. And uh, the people around me couldn't understand this because they, to them, the average guy, the idea of being on television was flipping. Oh, it's not, oh you hardly wait. Uh, and so uh, watching this, uh, I, I watched it. Uh, you, you find yourself becoming extremely technically critical of your work, too, when you watch these things. Now, uh, uh, so don't be so quick to say in your own life that you would love to see one day of your life, just a day at random, replayed. Well, now, wait, that's not the same as being able to relive another day. Now, I must explain something to you. People, uh, remember what I said. I didn't say relive another day. You wouldn't be. I'm saying, because it would be inevitable. You see, that's part of the bad part of it. <laughs> that, that you know inevitably what will happen, or at least you suspect it. Uh, and so, if you could relive a day of your life, that's something else. But uh, to replay a day of your life, now there's something else again. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about a, a major day in your life. I'm talking about a minor day because actually those are the days of your life. That if you were to look at your life, let's just let's take an age at random. Let's take a, a person of, uh, let's say, 40. We'll just take that at random. Well, out of this man's life uh, or this woman's life, how many days are really key days? I mean, when I say key days, a momentous day. In other words, the day you graduated, the day uh, uh, you went to this important funeral, or the day that uh, you uh, got married, or whatever it is that happened to you in your life that were momentous days. Uh, I, I, would, uh, I would venture to say that out of his life, out of, of a man of 40, I doubt whether those days would total up to a month, ultimately. Now, I'm not talking about days in which you had fun. No, I'm serious. I'm not talking about days that you enjoyed yourself. For example, you went to visit the Grand Canyon or you, you, had a, you went to a great party or something like that. I'm talking about momentous days. 
In fact, uh, you know the word memento, when people say, well, he, he takes a memento, he keeps a memento from his graduation. Well, that's because it's momentous. You don't take, uh, you don't keep a memento, say, from last Tuesday. Gee, I want to remember last Tuesday, right? So I'm going to keep this match cup. I want to remember. No, you don't. Why do you do it on a momentous day? Because this is a day that's important, see? <laughs> okay? It's a silly show. Well, it is a silly, really. You know, hardly anybody talks about life. It, it, it bugs me so much. You hear, you hear all these folk singers yammering away, and, they, and you hear different people uh, supposedly coming up with you know great philosophy and, and uh, people who are deeply involved in one thing or another, and supposedly great artworks. And hardly anybody really talks about life. They talk about issues, or they talk about sex, or they talk about the love. But life itself is much larger than any one of those single issues. We forget that. Uh, we tend to, to, uh, to not realize that life is a thing, it's like pregnancy. Either you've got it or you're dead. Either you've got it or you don't. And no one person can have more life than another. There's, uh, one, of the, one of the mis... I think one of the misguided ideas of our time is say somebody of 15 is more alive than somebody of, say, 60. This is a biological, zoological absurdity. <laughs> so a man of 60 is every bit as much alive as somebody of 15. Now his attitude, uh, his uh, the inner thoughts, uh, the inner life, the, the monologue that goes on in his mind all the time, remains fairly constant. From the time he is almost conscious, very early in his life, I don't remember being inside of my mind any different, really, than I am now. Do you think that your mind inside is much different? I mean, the inner you, the, the, the ultimate, uh, the id, the ego, the inside you, the you, that's, a, that a, that's opposed and beyond your body, your corporeal body, do you... Do you feel any different, uh, or uh, it's, it's even even more subtle than feel? Do you? Is there a different you, really, than you can ever remember at the age of ten or twelve? No, I don't think so. Now this is something we forget. That a man of sixty walking down the street is as much alive as the most totally involved hippie who's walking down the street. Now, we don't want to admit that in our time because we like to believe we put value judgments on life, usually based on chronological age. And so we tend to believe that a baby is pure. This is a great belief that everybody has. Flying again in the face of all known laws of, uh, of uh, the species, zoological, biological, Darwinian, uh, if, if a man of 60 is capable of murder, so is a baby. He's just not able to pull it off. <laughs> that's the only difference, really. Now, that's a very unpopular thing because we tend to believe today that all the things that are bad in a person are brought about by external forces called environment and or society. This is highly questionable. After all, society and environment are people. So uh, where does it start, the chicken and the egg? But I'm just wondering whether or not the average person, you'll excuse me having a deep tonight, I just wonder whether or not the average person 
would like to see once it got rolling. Now, the idea would intrigue you. I think the idea of, of, of looking at your life, a day in your life, would intrigue and does intrigue you. Just hearing it intrigues you. I'm not so sure you would have the same feeling 15 minutes into it. In other words, the experience is different than the concept. The concept of seeing your life is not the same as seeing your life. And uh, I'm just curious whether or not you would do it. Uh, after you start, would you, would you continue to watch? Although I suspect that you couldn't tear yourself away ultimately. Uh, you'd, be, you'd have definite mixed emotions. <laughs> Some people, I suspect, may even go into a form of hysteria watching themselves. Uh, because there's a lot of things. You know, the deep-seated fears that people have, and I'm talking about all people. This is no... Nobody's exempt from this. Ranging all the way from the most hip, the most uh, with it, the most now... Uh, the youngest, the oldest, the green, the black, the yellow. Uh, one thing that man has, apparently, that sets him apart from other animals, he has a sense of the passage of time. has a sense of the passage of time. Now that, I don't know at what point that developed in our evolution. Uh, when man was, a, was, a, was an amphibian, or when man was one of the lower primates, I suspect he didn't have that. Or maybe he might have even from the beginning had that grain in him. But at one point, at one point, there must have been a classic point when one caveman looked over to another, or maybe even came before the cave, when one creature looked over to the other and signified that uh, it wasn't always like this which means he suddenly became aware of the passage of time. Not just the passage of day, night, eat, day, night, eat. Now, do you know that they say that most animals tell time by their stomach? In other words, the only time that an animal knows the passage of time has passed, and he doesn't think in terms of time, he just thinks in terms of the pain, that he's either got this pain in his gut, which means eat, well, he doesn't. If he doesn't, he runs around, sniffs, and then it starts, and then he runs around and sniffs and eats. And that's the way his life goes. But man records his time. There's no... any kind of evidence to prove that an animal ever has had the desire to write down what happened so that ten years from now he can look back <laughs> Only man does that. Only man has the idea of history. And you know, one of the reasons why, if you notice, there's a big argument today in the world of history. There's two schools of thought about history now. One school is that history is history. You can only write down what happened. The other school is you can interpret history however you want. In other words, you can rewrite it if you wish to. Uh, there's a growing school of Orwellian, let's rewrite history in terms of if you happen to be involved in race problems, if you're interested in economic problems, you can go all the way back and uh, rewrite history. Anybody who claims that the revolutionists, we'll say, of the 1777 period have any relationship with the so-called revolutionists of today, 
is rewriting history. He's way off base, <laughs> but he finds it convenient to do this and wishes to do that. So uh, that's part of our problem. If you were to look at this thing, this picture of your life, this one day out of your life, see, my premise is that out of a, out of a man's life, he only leaves about 30 or 40 days that are, could be called pivotal days out of his whole life. And all the rest of the life, all the rest of the days are just days that we tend to think always in the future or the past. Have you noticed that on an ordinary day, you're always thinking of the weekend? You're not thinking of today. Today is a stepping stone to the weekend, which you assume, of course, will be what the point of the week is. Or you're looking forward to Christmas, or you're looking forward to Easter, or you're looking forward to your vacation. Therefore, really, in a way, missing the point of your life. I'm saying that, that out, of the, out of the daily world that you live in, a good, I'd say a good 60 to 70 percent is just fooling around, <laughs> figuring out, you know, what you're going to do on this next big important day. In short, the days of our lives we do nothing about, the actual days. We just sort of get through. Uh, and that is what would disturb you, I suspect. To see yourself at one 24-hour day doing nothing, <laughs> you know, just walking around wasting your time and uh, scratching. And, and how many, when you think of the number of unbelievably feckless things that you've wasted your days and your life on, the, the, the innumerable uh, phone calls and and uh, meetings and uh, and uh, sitting around with guys that you, you don't even remember. Uh, that's what your life is, though. So uh, can you put it down or not? If you do, if you put it down, you're putting your life down. I'm not, recommend, I'm not recommending anybody say, well, tomorrow morning wake up and be dynamic and only do important things. I'm saying that the life itself consists of unimportant millions of trivial things. That, the, that you... That the, that the time you're standing in line at the cleaners getting your clothes is as much a time of your life, if not more, than uh, that great momentous day when you're about to graduate. That's what your life is made out of. It's a strange show here. Now, you know, have you noticed that, that there are certain things we steer clear of in discussions, public discussions, in the endless crud that you hear on the endless panel shows? They're always discussing totally trivial things. Uh, ultimately trivial. You never see anybody sitting around on, on one of these so-called important shows discussing life. I mean, and the, the deep sense that almost all of us have way down inside that it's slipping by. That's in capital letters. I know that everybody has that feeling. So don't write me a long letter and say, well, Mr. Shepard, you must be really unhappy. I don't feel that way. Yes, you do. Don't kid me. <laughs> You're not kidding me. Uh, and you're not kidding yourself either, which is even more important. You can kid me all you want, but you're not fooling yourself. And I think that everybody from kids, and I think one of the reasons why so many kids are unhappy is that kids, more than anybody else, has a, has a sneaking knowledge of this. You did too. How many people remember when they were a kid and they felt that they never reached 21? They never lived to be 21. And if they did, they'd be blind. Then they'd, then they'd be sorry, boy, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, you can just see it, Trey. 
Did, did I hear about somebody one time saying that his grandfather worked so hard all about he loved working so much that he put in his will that when he died they were to have him cremated and they were to put his ashes in an hourglass that he would continue to work even after he was dead. <laughs> This is WOR New York. Stay tuned for In Conversation, dummy.